Welcome to episode 205 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki Episode 1, Glorious Purpose, directed by Kate Herron and written by Michael Waldron, who is also the head writer for the series. Before that fun starts, however, just want to let you know about the exclusive podcast that we have available on Patreon, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes. And the exclusives include Patreon credit scenes, which go along with these main episodes that we do on the podcast. So for episode 205, the Patreon credit scene is going to feature our conversation about Black Widow tickets going on sale, and also Jamila Jamil joining the cast of She-Hulk on Disney+, and that's going to be available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Or as I said, just hit the link in the show notes, and either way, you will have access to a private RSS link so that you can get the exclusive shows as well as the main podcast all in one place. You don't have to track it through multiple feeds. And then make sure you're following us in all the places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the podcast, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to those of you who have already taken the time to share your thoughts on the show. Speaking of the show, let's go ahead and start it now. How you doing, Paul Herman? I'm doing well. I'm doing very, very well because you know why? I think Mephisto is Loki confirmed. <laughs> right? Oh, right? man. Yeah, I, I did say at the top that this was a spoiler review, so we can go right into some details. But when that little kid pointed at the devil, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Um, <laughs> They're trolling us, man. I know. It, really, us. it definitely feels intentional. Um, thankfully, the end of the episode makes it clear uh, that Mephisto is not uh, its not a literal devil that the kid was uh, pointing at in the uh, in the year 1549 in France at some point in this episode, which we will eventually get to. But before we start the beat-by-beat scene breakdown, as we love to do on these spoiler reviews, we can talk about some overall thoughts on Loki. I really like this series. I've seen two episodes so far. I am banning the second episode knowledge from my brain and just focusing on what I know based on the first episode. And the first episode was enough to get me hooked because it's weird and fun science fiction that has this very odd combination of being very fantastical and yet very mundane at the same time. And that sounds bad to say mundane, but I'm just talking about the setting of the Time Variance Authority and just how plain and bureaucratic a lot of it is with the way that it operates, even though it is this incredible power within the universe or multiverse. So I just love the juxtaposition of those things of here's this incredible uh, concept that's so hard to wrap your head around, but it's being presented in uh, as as boring a way as possible. (laughs) But it's not boring with the way it actually comes together. And then also, like a lot of the best sci fi, it's very heady thematically. Mm -hmm. And we'll be having a lot of conversations over the next several weeks about the, the entire concept of free will and whether or not it exists, because according to the Time Mm. Variance Authority, uh, it does not, if they have anything to say about it, but more on that as we go on. But uh, definitely a big fan of this series so far after the first episode. What do you think, Paul? This show immediately uh, grabbed me in a way where, specifically the fact that it went super emotional right away. 
and it, it, you know, as far as the episode, not obviously in the intro, the intro went for the the humor, which was, I think you know grabbed the audience, you know, with Loki, what makes him work. Tom Hiddleston just you know oozes out charisma. But what I loved about this is some of the things we talked about from the very start, right, Sean? Is mm-hmm. how are people supposed to you know get behind Loki? And that's what this whole episode was about. And I know we kind of speculated that, you know, obviously they're going to have something to, you know, do something to do uh, to make this work or, or make people get even more behind him or whatever. We definitely talked about that. But I do think that they took what happened before and just expanded on it and really dug deeper with it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really, really cool to not only do that, but have two powerhouse actors going back and forth and making that work and starting that journey of the, you know, hero's journey, if you will, for Loki or a quote unquote hero's journey in my, you know, we'll, we'll get into that later, but yeah. just, but as a whole off the bat, um, it wasn't as, um, it's kind of, it kind of reminded me, and this is not, this is not even a backhanded compliment because my, I wasn't a huge fan of the first episode of WandaVision, but it kind of reminded me of that a little bit because it was all set up. It was all, let's kind of get thing get, uh, get us through this kind of complicated kind of ideas or kind of weirdness out of the way, kind of set up the world. And then we kind of go from there. And that's what it kind of felt like. I think I liked yeah. it better than the first episode of WandaVision by, by far, but at least it, from an establishing standpoint, it gave us a lot to kind of chew on. And kind of, you know, and also a, a lot of questions. So, which we'll get into here. I mean, not and not just with Loki, but just how the whole time variance works and the timekeepers. And, and we can go, I could go on for a long time yeah. about this stuff because this is, it gets complicated. And it, but this is what I think, what I, I love that Marvel's doing, Sean, is that they're not afraid to tackle and go this really complicated route. And it remains to be seen if, if it's, if it's going to maintain its, you know, simplicity and comprehension. But at this point, they're just killing it with all this multiverse stuff, and I'm, I'm all for it. So I can't wait to dive deeper into it. But yeah, I, I love this episode, and again, mainly because of Owen Wilson and uh, Tom Hiddleston as you know playing their characters. Yeah, I think it's the most complete first episode Absolutely. of any of the series so far, yes. and so it's not even really a better or worse thing. Although the net result is probably that this is the strongest first episode of a Marvel Studios Disney Plus series. It does have the advantage, though, because every series is doing its own thing. And so with WandaVision, the first episode, which I loved it was by design, it wasn't yes. putting its cards on the table the way this one did. And I think that's what allowed it to be feel like more of a complete uh, experience, just being able to see this episode because you're not wondering what all I mean, you, you are wondering what a lot of this is and is everything exactly as it seems in the way the time variance authority is explaining it in this series. And clearly there's going to be more things that we will learn throughout this. But the basic concept of what's happening here has been defined, at least on the TVA's terms. We've been given that in this episode, which we weren't really given with uh, with WandaVision, at least in story. Obviously, we knew a lot of other things about WandaVision externally from interviews and, and everything else. But as far as what they're actually showing within the story, I think Loki put more of its cards on the table. And also, because it was doing that, it got to immediately get to the heart uh, and yeah. the, the emotion of the story, especially for our main title character in Loki with Tom Hiddleston, who's always been incredible as Loki, delivering some of his best work and some of the key scenes in this first episode. Uh, So let's get into it. I mean, we open, I think Mm -hmm. part of 
why this felt so complete, though, is it felt bigger than the other premieres mm. because it opens in the biggest Marvel movie of all time. Like it opens in that endgame sequence of New York 2012 to show everybody how we got here of Loki escaping with the Tesseract. And it looked like there was a couple of new shots in there. Definitely Loki waving in the elevator. I mean, I I believe they did reshoot some stuff, obviously not with the main actors from Endgame. There, I don't think any original Avengers showed up for this, but some of the stuff that was isolated on Loki, I think they were able to add in uh, and film some new stuff to cut into this sequence. But I just liked that setting because just in case you don't remember Endgame or you didn't see Endgame, you at least get a starting point for uh, for this series. And it's just nice to see kind of how, basically, how we got here. Um, and I also really like uh, the, if the first call out of, of what might be a few over the course of this episode of the podcast. When we finish the sequence of Loki escaping in Avengers Endgame, uh, when he gets away, we see... we. Get the Marvel Studios logo, which, of course, turns green and gets some gold trim, Loki-themed, and it looks great. But mm-hmm. we also hear, uh, we really get into the score the first time, because we start with Alan Silvestri, Avengers Endgame, but then we get the score that Natalie Holt has done for Loki. I loved the music in this episode so, so much. Uh, and so, and, and it started right there with that title. Uh, but things really get moving when we see where Loki went after he escaped with the Tesseract. Uh, we cut to the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. Loki gets a crash landing, and the way he was just lying there in the desert really reminded me of, I wonder if the visual struck you as well, of Tony after he crash landed in the desert with the Mark I in Iron Man. Mm. I don't mm. I don't really know that that was the intention there, and I know that like Tony was partially buried, so it doesn't. the aesthetic isn't a complete match, but it did kind of remind me of that, and I liked it. Um, but I think the part that's... This episode is very much the humbling of Loki Laufeyson, as yes. they the way they pronounce the name, which I love in this uh, episode, because h- here he is, he gets up and he does his whole glorious purpose routine, the title of the episode, of course, uh, a line we remember from the first Avengers movie. Here's Loki delivering it again uh, to these folks who find him in the desert, and they just don't care. And then the Time Variance Authority shows up, and they don't care either. And uh, they're led by Hunter B-15, played by Wunmi Mosaku, who was awesome in Lovecraft Country uh, last year and was awesome here in Loki. My favorite part about this, though, is that it's such a different response to Loki's arrival. Like, and remember, this is just after the events of the Avengers. So when Loki arrived at the Project Pegasus facility, like it was this big deal for S.H.I.E.L.D. to see this guy show up through this portal with the Tesseract. For everybody here, including the Time Variance Authority, they don't care at all. Like, it's just a complete no-sell. And it all seems, it all plays out as very routine to the Time Variance Authority. I mean, she even calls it, Hunter B-15, a standard sequence violation. And just looks at the branch on the timeline saying it's growing at a, a stable rate and slope. And they've identified the variant, which is Loki. It just doesn't matter at all. And of course, Loki is arrested for crimes against the sacred timeline. But... Just that initial introduction for Loki and how different that was from what it was at uh, with S.H.I.E.L.D. At, at the start of the Avengers to get a complete no-sell here was really, uh, I thought, funny and fun, but a very effective way of uh, what is ultimately a breakdown of Loki in this episode. Yeah, you have to basically show that, you know, the establishing uh, what we know as Loki and what's been driving this, driving this character 
for the previous films, it doesn't exist. It only ends at Avengers, like you said. And now we're going to go through and we're going to show that no one cares. And he's and he, and he, he can't respond by his power. He doesn't mm-hmm. have it. And and that's this is the first set, um, setup of that. And we're going to show or see how Loki is going to be taken and broken down and put, but also be put back together. And I love the fact that there's all, we have a visual of that eventually too at some point, which is also played for laughs. Um, basically, just stripping down the character yeah. to its core, right? So I mean, there's lots of cool visual cues of that. And again, it's really nice to get this idea of Loki of what he was before Avengers and bef- and after, and also with our timeline. We'll say you know our timeline being the MCU timeline that we know and love. All that doesn't exist, so he doesn't have that, which we get. He gets a, the hindsight of, or the the benefit of seeing that in hindsight now, um, or whatever. Or how you'd say that, uh, but seeing the benefit of having, you know, seeing that different timeline and knowing what you know his actions, you know, have will have caused, even though he hasn't done it himself, and that's what's so big right now. So we're only getting this, you know, egotistical. I haven't done anything wrong. I, I've been, you know, I've been basically been been uh, I've been misunderstood for so long and I'm just kind mm-hmm. of this angry kind of child. He's basically the angry child at this point and he hasn't even like developed himself even as a villain I would say or a ba- or a quote unquote bad guy or you know whatever. So where I haven't got there. He's only established that. And I love the fact that we're going to get that breakdown later. But again, seeing people just not care it was hilarious. Yeah, people didn't care because what a lot of people or at least with the time variance authority, they see through it. They mm-hmm. see that it's Loki playing pretend, and it's something that he finally admits at the end of this episode. But there's something else uh, that that's interesting that happens here. I mean, there's the funny bit of the baton strike where like he starts moving at one sixteenth speed, but he feels all the pain in real time, so it just prolongs oh, awesome. the whole thing. A uh, really cool visual, and also just really cool messed up thing to do to Loki. But with the way he was acting, can't say he didn't deserve that. So. Um, also, he gets a great line about, you know, having had his fill of idiots in armored suits telling him what to do. Uh, so I, I like that. But also we see them reset the timeline as they're walking Loki away and taking him to the Time Variance Authority. And there's that look on Tom Hiddleston's face when he looks back at what's happening, because we see these little reset boxes, but we don't really know what they do and what exactly that means when you reset a timeline. But Loki seemed surprised and even a bit frightened by what was happening there. So when they reset a timeline, I think the Time Variance Authority is killing that timeline and everyone in it. I think when mm. you when you clip a branch, everyone's alive on that branch and they go away. Um, at least that's what it seems like, because when they use phrases like reset and prune throughout the episode, that usually is in reference to killing someone. So, mm. uh, you know, eliminating a variant. So that seems to be... What's happening, and also I think there's a moment that Owen Wilson has uh, as Mobius later on that perhaps gives that away and and certainly calls into question the ethics of the Time Variance Authority. But then we move on to the the TVA, and it's booking uh, Loki for his crimes after he's been arrested. And we see there's another variant there. Uh, He won't be around for very long because he gets reset his dad is on the board at Goldman Sachs, which you just wonder why this guy would even be here. But I think Miss Minutes' uh, explanation covers that. But anyway, uh, we see B-15 has uh, control of Loki with a time twister, a little device where they can just loop him back to where he was when he tries to run away. Uh, she hands off the Tesseract as evidence to Casey, played by Eugene Cordero, 
who did appear in Chapter 4 of The Mandalorian, but mm-hmm. many of us know him as Pillboy from The Good Place, so I'm so happy that he is part of this series and a bigger part of this show than he was on The Mandalorian. Eugene Cordero is awesome, and I love him as Casey, especially the scene that he gets uh, later on wondering what a fish is. Um, I, but he also has a great line here that you know you could miss it if you're... But when Loki says, it's the Tesseract, be very careful with it, and he just yells back, it sounds dumb. Uh, love love that line Um, meanwhile uh, Loki just keeps on making threats and still no one cares but as you mentioned moments ago Paul the breakdown and the humiliation of Loki becomes a very physical thing when he's literally stripped of his Asgardian garb including not just the armor but the fine Asgardian leather that he called out and that's an important visual because that's where, mm-hmm. you know, Loki is literally being exposed, you know, physically being exposed at the same time mm-hmm. he's being emotionally exposed. So it is, a, it's, you know, a funny scene, but it's also at the same time, it, it is representing a larger thing thematically that's happening in the episode. And it's all of that pretense of Loki that he is a god king, or at least that's how he wants to see himself. And the way he dresses is part of that, and the TVA just takes it away from him immediately. Yeah, and that was something really interesting when that happened because, again, Loki is is the whole time is I have power. He's always seeking power, and that's what means you know more to him than anything is to be king. But to be you know to to be king, you have to have power, or to be a leader, you have to have some kind of authority. And for him, he has to have enough power to control those people or or command them or whatever. And to see them, to see him basically be, you know, put around the collar around his neck and then stripped naked. It's like, again, we're, we're seeing the deconstruction of the character, which we have never seen before in our, in the MCU, because he's not everyone. He's as powerful, if not more powerful than the majority of the people that, you know, he's going up against. I mean, basically what, you know, the Avengers, it takes, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of people to take him down. Thor just can't take him down willy nilly. And he's very powerful. I mean, obviously the Hulk can, you know, Playing like a, you know, toss him around like a rag doll, and that definitely, yeah. you, know, probably, you know, that definitely helps, uh, you know, whatever. But yeah, Loki's a powerful character, so we're seeing this the fact that also establishing that the time variance is, is super powerful. And and I wanted to talk about that for a second because one thing that I, I took to it, and I always think this is a, a positive for the MCU, but it's something to kind of think about too is the depowering of certain elements. Now the time variance authority itself is very complicated and just kind of out there concept. Mm-hmm. But when I read the comic books and, and they're not like a ton of appearances with these, with these things. But when I was a kid, I literally picked up the first appearance of Mobius cause it was in a fantastic four comic by Walt Simonson. And my brother and I actually have two, I own two key appearances now. Of Mobius, <laughs> uh, cause I have my copy. I have my brother's copy of fantastic four. Uh, where he first appeared in the in the early '90s, and I, I remember just seeing like this, it's super these super powerful beings, and it just it looks just kind of again you can't comprehend everything, but they're uber uber powerful, right? And it's kind of like the gauntlet, like it's uber uber powerful. It's like you're just it's above your comprehension. Mm-hmm. But what does Marvel do? They kind of they kind of depowered the the gauntlet in a, to an extent and made it more manageable. And here they kind of did the same thing with the whole uh, the the collars around their necks and how that controls them kind of a thing. I thought it was interesting because because I was thinking, why don't even need collars? If they're this powerful, they should have like like snap it like and have them yeah. you know, go away. That but again, I, you can't really do that for these intents and purposes. But I just thought it was yeah. interesting that like oh, it's it's a neat concept. So there is some kind of 
control around the time variance authority. They, they're not just all powerful. Yeah. Well, it's it is technology based because exactly when Loki later on is with Mobius and he looks out at the TVA and he sees the whole setting and like you know the flying cars or whatever else and and every and and it looks great, but. Loki is is wondering like if it's magic and Mobius says no. I mean Mobius could be lying, but I mean it, it if it's tech based, I think that that puts to a, a limitation on it, which I think you need. And and I'm not saying it's all tech based. I mean there could be other things that are a part of it, but clearly the TVA is yeah. powerful. At least they're doing a really good job uh, making themselves appear to be very powerful. Although Loki pretty much accepts it by the end of the episode, but. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the the booking process continues. Loki gets dropped into a room where he has to sign an account, a, a written account of everything that he said, and he says a couple more things. So a couple more pages get printed out, and he has to sign that. And I just love how this place is so weird and so powerful, and yet it's all so damn tedious. Like they they can do pretty much anything it seems like at the Time Variance Authority, and yet they're still like printing out paper, and people still have to sign stuff, and it's like old computer paper. <laughs> Like mm-hmm, I just, mm-hmm, I know, I mm-hmm. it, I love everything about it. It seems so completely unnecessary, and I'm sure it is for the time variance authority. But I feel like that's part of their whole process, and that that might also be a huge part of how they break people down. Is just how tedious everything, uh, the entire process is, and make themselves seem so simple, while yet at the in yet at the same time they are extremely powerful. Which in many ways is the opposite of Loki. I mean, not to say that Loki isn't powerful, but I think a lot sometimes his bark is bigger than his bite. Meanwhile, the time variance authority, they're not really about showing their power uh, where you just immediately see it by looking at it. It's more about when they are actually uh, in action. But anyway, I, I like that the next sequence we get is Loki having to walk through a, a robot detector. Uh, he's And it's the question of, you know, he's asked to confirm whether or not he's, you know, was born a living creature and has what most would consider a soul. Um, And Loki (laughs) has the question that everybody's been pondering since Wednesday. uh, What if I was a robot and didn't know it? Although I think many of us have asked ourselves that question beforehand. Um, But I love that Loki was legit worried as he went through it. And I think that's just there is that question of what all of, of what is existence in the first place that maybe guides Loki's thinking there, but also everything that's happening to him is so weird that he probably does feel like um, maybe this isn't, maybe I'm not really me right now. Uh, so I thought that was cool. And we get uh, a snapshot of his temporal or uh, temporal aura. Um, and then he, we get to the line, which there's only one person in line ahead of him. It's Goldman Sachs Jr. Who doesn't take a ticket. Loki takes one and that will work out to Loki's benefit. Um, and we're about to get an explanation of what is the TVA. But before we meet uh, Miss Minutes through her voice and through the mm-hmm. animation sequence, we actually see a poster on the wall that I really liked. And it's a Miss Minutes poster that's telling variants to behave or they'll get their clock cleaned. I think that's a really awesome pun on that poster. So Marvel, please print that and sell it. Um, I, I will buy it. Um, I guess I could find a way to print it for myself. But either way, sell yeah. it officially. Slap it on a T-shirt. Exactly. Um, so we get the the next scene is the what is the TVA and I love how it's just her calling back Loki's line to him you know about it being a mistake and he shouldn't be here like I'll bet you're thinking <laughs> this is a mistake and you shouldn't be here. Um, also got to call out Miss Minutes being voiced by Tara Strong, yeah, who is an absolute legend in yep. animation and voice acting, video games, animated series, movies. 
She's been Harley Quinn. She's been yeah. Raven on Teen Titans. I mean, if you look at her IMDb page, you won't get to the end of it. It's longer than that list of everything Loki's ever said that was printed out in uh, that TVA uh, room. So, yeah, Tara Strong is awesome. And I also... I love that she got to do it because Marvel's had a tendency when there is an instance to need a vocal performance that they go with a live action actor and that's not to knock it. Like Bradley Cooper is amazing as Rocket in the Guardians movies, um, but there's also a lot of great voice actors out there who can uh, perform in, in these spots. And so Tara Strong is so great as Miss Minutes. Love her in this. And she explains the history of the Time Variance Authority and just speaking of how you know this place is seems to be uh, a technological marvel, no pun intended, uh, within the MCU, they still have so many things that are so old, you know, old printers, but then also their cartoon explanation of what they are is presented in four by three aspect uh, aspect ratio, old TV cartoon. So there's a little bit of like WandaVision esque uh, visual there, at least in terms of the aspect ratio. And then uh, the video explains what the TVA is. This is what they say their deal is, and I'm just going to go ahead and quote it from the show. Long ago, there was a vast multiversal war. Countless unique timelines battle each other for supremacy, nearly resulting in the total destruction of, well, everything. But then the all-knowing timekeepers emerged, bringing peace by reorganizing the multiverse into a single timeline, the sacred timeline. Now the timekeepers protect and preserve the proper flow of time for everyone and everything, but sometimes people like you veer off the path the timekeepers created. We call those variants. Maybe you started an uprising or were just late for work. Whatever it is, stepping off your path created a nexus event, which, left unchecked, could branch off into madness leading into another multiversal war. But don't worry, to make sure that doesn't happen, the timekeepers created the TVA and all its incredible workers. The TVA has stepped in to fix your mistake and set time back on its predetermined path. Now that your actions have left you without a place on the timeline, you must stand trial for your offenses. So sit tight and we'll get you in front of a judge in no time. Just make sure you have your ticket and you'll be seen by the next available attendant for all time, always. Um, so let's break that down. Uh, there's a lot mm. that's happening there. Yeah. The multiverse existed and then the timekeepers collapsed it into a single sacred timeline. What that tells me is that the timekeepers, whatever they are, whoever they are, and whoever they are, meaning Kang, um, is uh, <laughs> so because I, I I don't think the timekeepers are the comic book version of that, like created by He Who Remains. It seems too simple. Um, and there's another Kang connection that we'll get to uh, mm -hmm. later on in the episode. Um, but I would say that the timekeepers, whoever they are, whatever they are, they won the multiverse war. That's what mm -hmm. happened. They won, and this is how they hold on to it. They have their sacred timeline that they want to be the timeline, and so they, and whenever something branches off, they clip the branch, because we actually see that visually in the cartoon. There's a part where we see one of the TVA people leave behind one of those reset devices, and it erases that timeline. You know, it clips that branch, and it just disappears into nothingness. So that's really, you know, I think that's very telling um, of what actually yes. happens on a reset um, and anything that doesn't fit within the path that the timekeepers or whoever want to have happen. That mm -hmm. is the sacred timeline because it's sacred because it's the timeline they that want. works out best for them. 
uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> or him or whatever. Or, or that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that. In a I second. mean, it could be Council of Kings and that's why it's multiple. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I, that's I, I think that's what's happening. And that's what prune, you know, that's what that's why they use the phrase pruning too. like they're clipping these branches and not in the way that like Steve Rogers was doing with the intention of like making sure there were no bad timelines where everybody was just like dead um, but, or being tortured and devastated and dark forces and all the stuff that ancient that the ancient one talked about. Um, this is just full on completely erasing them in a way that I think just removes everybody uh, who's still on those branches from existence. So. Uh, it seems to be a very harmful thing that the TVA is doing uh, and ultimately very self-serving. Uh, and I think that's what's kind of given away a little bit in that animation sequence. Mm-hmm. But also it's very effective, at least in the simplest possible way of explaining the terms on a very surface level of the show. And you can discover the rest later as as we go along. But yeah, I'm I'm willing to get ahead of it a little bit here. There is a lot to unpack. In fact, I would say... The stuff we talk about later with Mobius and Loki is all is awesome. And it's all about character development and building and all that stuff. Whereas for me as the hardcore, you know, comic book reader, I, I just ate this, this whole miss minutes thing up Mm. completely. Now from the, this pure aesthetic level of what they're giving me with miss minutes was amazing. Yep. I loved it. And it was perfect. I mean, whoever I'm sure it was a group of people who who sat down and wrote that out, but whoever was in charge of writing that, being in charge of getting that whole thing out there, mm-hmm. perfect. You nailed it. Obviously, everyone everyone loves her, but the whole thing was just perfect because it simplified everything for what multiverse timeline. Because this is what we used to remember. We were arguing about this a while ago about what was going on in Endgame. You were saying it's, it's different timelines, and I was like, well, that's multiverses. Basically, the same thing, right? Yeah. And that's that's kind of what we were we were both arguing the same thing. It was funny. I was looking back. I'm like, we're arguing the same thing. That's why I posted on Twitter today that timeline thing when um, the ancient one and uh, Hulk were were talking in Endgame, and she was saying you know, one thing branches off another. Because I'm thinking like, well that doesn't really make sense what Miss, what with what Miss Minutes was saying because if it's all one timeline, but then, you know, they, obviously a variance get, you know, go go astray, but that's what they did basically. And then Doctor Strange was going through, in you know, in an Infinity War, all different possibilities. Mm-hmm. He was able to go through the different multiverses basically. So I'm like, that doesn't make sense. So there, so there can't just be one timeline. It has to be like, maybe one timeline with multiverses within it. It, it. Again, it gets really crazy if you think about it that way. Well, I think it's a, you know, you think of the sacred timeline as like, you know, this highway. And I think there are roads that lead into it. There, exactly. There are yes. offshoots that like loop yes. that loop out, but they ultimately loop back in. Back in. Right. And yeah. that's why I don't think, because Loki even calls this out later in the episode. And granted, we're getting a little ahead of it, but it's hard not to. So, um, you know, when he talks about, well, look at what the Avengers did in Endgame. Um, not that he, he didn't call it Endgame because he doesn't know the title of the movie he was in. But when he's saying what they did going back in time, like, why isn't that an issue? And they're saying, well, that was supposed to happen. Exactly. And, yeah. and I think the key one of the key pieces in this is when Miss Minutes is explaining, like, maybe you started an uprising or maybe you were just late for work. Exactly. It's it seems that. That seems and is very, very arbitrary because like, wait a minute, how can these two, these two, these two things are vastly different. People are late for work all the time, Um, (laughs) but it's whether or not you were supposed to be. And if you weren't supposed to be, what happens as a result of that? 
does it branch off in a way that is completely out of control or does it branch or does it branch off in a way where it's ultimately going to just loop back in cuz they do watch right. the slope of the branch so if it just if it changes and it goes back into the sacred timeline it's okay basically meaning that if you're the timekeepers or kang or whoever this is if it still works out for you if it doesn't get in the way of what you want to be your present slash future your reality then it's okay and it can stay within the timeline but if it's going to create if it creates the type of butterfly effect that spirals to the point where you no longer get what you want and there's a completely separate timeline that doesn't result in you getting what you want those are the branches that have to be clipped yeah and that's that's a great way of putting it sean and and that's what immediately i started thinking when i'm watching this because you know we 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 only know whatever from the comic books but obviously the mcu you know builds and takes things from different storylines and kind of mushes them together and without even talking to you about it and i I don't watch other people's for the most part you know breakdowns of of marvel stuff because i like to be surprised for the most part um and and i already know a lot already from just reading so much so i'm like well i want to keep things surprised as I'm watching this, there's a bunch of things that, that, that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm not sure if you've noticed, and you've already mentioned, we mentioned King a bunch was purple. Purple was prominent throughout that whole cartoon, mm. especially with one of the uprisings. And I watched it again. I'm like, okay, am I just seeing things? One of the uprisings is yeah. definitely all the people are purple. I went, okay. Well, and it, here's where I noticed purple. It, that's what comes out of the reset device. Ah, the ground. if you go back to that first one where you see it coming out of it before you yeah. cut to the look on Loki's face, it's purple. So, yeah. So, and I didn't, when, when I'm watching it the first time, Sean, I didn't even think that Kang was maybe involved necessarily. I thought this was its own separate thing, but after watching it, I went, okay, Kang is definitely, it, it is all Kang because and you brought up another thing about the time variance. There's, you know, they're using all these old things, right? I think that's by design. I think that's by design by Kang to keep it simple, to keep these mm. people kind of docile or or whatever to, to be what he wants it to be because mm. it keeps it in control. So it kind of goes back to the whole caller idea. Cause I'm like, well, yeah, you have to have, cause in the comic books, they're like, just, they're just, they don't even care about anything. Like kind of what they, you've established in this episode, but they're so powerful. Again, you can just snap their fingers and do whatever they want. It's, it's what it seems like, but here everything is more controlled and I think obviously it's by design for, I think story-wise by the, the creators, but also I think it's with the whole aesthetic that they're going for and everything's technologically based that, that you know, Mobius says, that's all from Kang. I think Kang mm-hmm. has it like this for control. And, and, and this other thing kind of popped in my head while we were talking, think about this. One of the, one of the brilliant things they did, and I'm going a little bit ahead of myself, but think about this, that power, like what Loki's after is meaningless to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So think about this. Marvel's biggest fear or people not biggest fear, but biggest kind of whatever, like a concern is how do they follow up Thanos? You can't, you've already had the most powerful thing in the world, right? Right. Well, how you follow you, how you, how do you follow that up by basically saying those things don't matter to the person that they're going up against? Right. So this is truly King all like the, the, the affinity gems. Yeah. He's got millions of them. doesn't matter. All that matters is a sacred timeline. So, yeah. I mean, or his timeline. Exactly. Yeah. It gives, you know, I mean, I, I'm hesitant to talk so much about Kang because I'm like, what if Kang ends up being the, you know, what if Kang ends up being the Mephisto of Loki and and doesn't show up? But there are some pretty strong hints in that direction in this episode. And, 
That's why I'll still throw out the caveat. Maybe it's not Kang. Maybe the timekeepers have their own identity or, or whatever it is. Um, maybe there's nobody behind the curtain at all. And I will talk about that a little bit uh, as we go on and, and we meet another character. But yeah, there's a lot of this stuff that kind of points in that direction. And, and Kang as a villain, and I don't, I know he's been one of those characters that a lot of people have talked about as being, you know, the new Thanos for the, or the next Thanos for the MCU. And I don't really see him taking on that type of role. I, but I think the way you make sure he doesn't do that is you give him a completely different set of priorities. And, you know, Thanos was very much rooted in the present, just like most of these characters have been rooted in the present. How do I make the situation be what I want it to be right now? Whereas Kang, it goes even bigger than that, because how do I make sure that everything that has happened, is happening, and will happening and, and will happen is exactly what it's supposed to be and exactly what I want? Um, and a sacred timeline that you manage uh, constantly, and you created this entire thing of the TVA and all the workers in it in order to preserve that for you, yeah, that that fits, and you're getting into a much bigger space. And I mean, it, it see it seems almost early to talk about Kang in, with Loki, and we know that Kang is going to be in Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, but it still feels like a, a character they could build to a little bit in little ways. And it doesn't mean that Kang is the main antagonist here, but it, it could. This just could be one of the things that Kang is working on, and it, it's still as big as this is. It's part of an even bigger thing. I mean, they have teased it though. Like right. Michael Waldron, the head writer for the series, he's talked about this being, uh, have this series having major ramifications on the MCU. And I know everything's got major ramifications on the MCU, but this one could really, uh, this one could really, uh, mean something there in, in a very significant way. Cause not every MCU story, um, has the biggest ramifications across the entire universe, right. nor should they, because they yeah. shouldn't all have that pressure. But it looks like Loki uh, could be lending itself to that, perhaps uh, a little bit more than than WandaVision or the Falcon mm -hmm. and the Winter Soldier. But either way, I really love this explanation of, of what the TVA is. I know we got very like into the weeds on it of what these things could mean, but I also feel like if you're just watching this and, and not listening to podcasts uh, where we overanalyze the crap out of it, if you're just watching it, I feel like you get the terms you need in the simplest possible way. Uh, as you said, calling out the writing, and I know Michael Waldron was the the writer of this episode, also the head writer of the series, so I'm guessing this mostly came from him. Um, I'm sure others might have had some input as well, but what they ended up with was a very, I think, effective explanation to define the terms for the audience uh, and use that as a basis for going forward. And it took a very complex sort of thing. And, and I do think it did a good job of uh, uh, of simplifying it for the audience and still allowing it to be very weird and fun and interesting. And, and another thing to call out, though, is when Miss Minutes explains like how we call those variants that our little cartoon guy, our little protagonist of the, the variant story, look at how many different forms he takes. Um, so certainly a lot of speculation about uh, different Lokis and Loki taking different forms mm. in the series as he has in the comic books. Uh, yes. The foundation for that was laid in that little uh, cartoon sequence. So that's also worth noting. Put a pin in that. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, whoa, OK. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yep, we knew. Yeah, exactly. And which, again, as I said, it's been a point of speculation for a long time about uh, this. Uh, pretty much for as long as we've known this Loki series uh, existed. So um, we uh, she closes. I like how she closes. Like, thanks for visiting the TVA. Don't hesitate to let us know how we're doing. That dialogue does play at the very end of the credits as well. Uh, if you stick around and, and listen for it. 
And then we get the Loki title card and theme, which again, the score by Natalie Holt, I love so much in this. And uh, when we get into the larger concepts, though, of, you know, thematically, I talked about how we would discuss the concept of free will uh, as we discuss this series and including this episode. That's what's happening here. Like, you went off the path. Well, you went off the path as defined by not you, but the timekeepers. So you don't have free will if you have to stay on a separate path, if you have to stay on a predetermined path. Otherwise, you will be removed from it and ultimately killed, uh, you know, eliminated from the timeline. Uh, That doesn't really, uh, obviously, that's basically saying everybody has to do exactly what's been defined by the timekeepers in the sacred timeline. So per the TVA, uh, you do not have free will. You are who you're supposed to be, and that's all you're allowed to be. And so for a story, and that's a very interesting concept to have with this story about Loki, where Loki kind of needs to change. And now it's like he can't and nor can anyone else unless they're supposed to. And as Mobius explains it later, Loki's not really supposed to, but I have a feeling he's going to anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just whether or not he'll be able to survive in that form. Uh, So all that was great. And then we cut to France, 1549. Uh, We meet Mobius, played by Owen Wilson for the first time. This is the aftermath of a hunter and Minutemen who've been ambushed and killed by a variant. We are told it's the sixth attack in the last week. And the reset charge, those little boxes uh, that they have there, it's missing from that team, although they brought another one to reset at the end. A kid stumbles in, and he gets to watch a little stick figure cartoon uh, that Mobius draws up real quick. Ask who did it. The kid points to the devil. So there's Mephisto. No, no, no. Like I said, Kang is the new Mephisto. That's what we're going with. Um, Mobius says to the kid, though, we're going to put you back where you belong. And then he notices the kid is uh, chewing gum. It's uh, gum that's called Kablooey. It is blueberry flavor. Uh, blue spelled with two O's. Uh, not, And it's obviously not from this time. Kablooey not available in, <laughs> <laughs> in 1549. Little known fact about world history. Um, and we we're told that the branch is nearing the red line. Uh, Mobius tells the kid to go wait outside. And I think that that is so the kid doesn't have to see what's coming with a reset charge. Uh, Mobius is handed a file and that, of course, is Loki. But that whole thing of Mobius saying, we're going to put you back where you belong and also saying and, and telling the kid to go wait outside because it's scary to see what's happening when they set off those re- that reset charge. Um, I, I think it's because that timeline is being eliminated. Therefore, that kid is being eliminated. Mm. And Mobius is uh, doing this kindness uh, in air quotes of uh, making sure the kid doesn't actually have to see it. I, I didn't even catch that. And I'm not sure if that's supposed to be subtle or not. I just wasn't paying attention, which is very possible. But I didn't even consider that until now when you're talking about, Sean, that they're actually eliminating the uh the whole timeline maybe they're not but i i think that's what they're doing or maybe they're like freezing it so it can't move forward i don't know but that would make sense because again it, it, again i would want to get kang involved in this but if you have someone who's it was even if they're not kang if the timekeepers are strictly you know, you know again the free will whole idea and you can't have different you know ideas of uh, it has to be their timeline their sacred timeline it would make sense that they would clip as many things as they can to control that. Cause it obviously would get out of control if they kept letting these things happen and whatever. So uh, to me, there's a lot, there's a lot to that uh, whole concept. So I definitely think that you're right. I think there's definitely, which I think Mobius doesn't realize that that's wrong uh, to be, to be fair. I don't think well. he can. 
exactly good point that's a good point so he was yeah. created by the timekeepers so the the whole tva the people who worked there as it was explained they were created by the timekeepers which means they went from nothingness into existing for all we know mobius has existed just as he looks now all the time right um and so i think it's it's very interesting to give and i think this is where owen wilson is so effective though is because everybody tends to just like him so much in movies because he's generally awesome. And so he comes across as just so chill and so nice that it's very disarming. So even though he's part of something that we may ultimately discover is quite terrible, um, we don't, we don't fear it. Um, cause that, Mm -hmm. and that's what's happening with that kid. He's nice to the kid does the little cartoon, like reassures him that they'll get him back to where he belongs and, and all of those things. Um, but what we also don't know is, is is it really death that happens when they reset a timeline? I don't really know. It seems to be when they reset somebody individually, so I don't know what it means uh, across sure. a whole timeline, but it could be very, very bad. And and I also think that for, for Mobius, though, as far as the judgment of him as a character, it's difficult to do that because if he was created by the timekeepers, then there's the, the question of free will comes up again. Does Mobius have a choice to do anything different? I don't think he does. Yeah. Um, does he have the ability to see what he's doing as being wrong? No. Um, he's been created for the purpose of basically he is serving the most divine purpose that there is in uh, protecting the sacred timeline. And that's the only way he really can see it. Um, so that's where it's it's very interesting that Owen Wilson as this character can come across as very nice and actually be very nice uh, because and it's harder to assign judgment to it when you remove uh, the element of you remove the element of choice. Um, the next scene we get is the trial of Loki, uh, where we meet uh, Judge Ravana Renslayer, played by Gugu Mbatha-Ra, who is so great in this scene. Ravana Renslayer is a character that has very strong connections to Kang, the Council of Kangs in the comics. So that's another potential reference there. But maybe my favorite part is the way she says Laufison, and she just says Mr. Laufison. Uh, I just, I, I love it. She's almost got a little bit of that southern drawl but not as not as much as miss minutes but she almost has a little bit of it as uh judge renslayer but um just so unimpressed by loki uh loki laufison variant uh l1130 um and then mr laufison of course is based on his father's name king laufi uh laufi's son just like thor is odin's son um, charged with sequence violation 72089 which sounds like someone's birthday i wonder whose that is um, and then Loki says they have the wrong person, blames the Avengers for meddling with time, uh, no doubt to Loki assumes stop him from his ascent, not Thanos. Um, and Loki says, oh, believe me, you can smell the cologne of two Tony Starks. But Judge Renslayer says that what the Avengers did was supposed to happen. Loki escaping was not. So this is all per the timekeepers, and Loki is not allowed to see them. Loki requests a meeting, and Judge Renslayer says they're busy dictating the flow of time. Well, what does Judge Renslayer do? She dictates the proper flow of time according to their dictations. Uh, according to their dictations, the timekeepers. So Loki tries to use his powers and can't. He is laughed off by B-15, and he is sentenced to be reset. And uh, Judge Renslayer says it's because Loki says this is not how his story ends. And she says, it's not your story, Mr. Laffison. It never was. Then Mobius is able to save him to uh, to work a case, but it's again everybody in the TVA just 
completely feeling like Loki is is nothing. All of this is so routine to them. Um, but also what I what stood out to me in this scene was we already mentioned the the Avengers thing of how is that not a big deal? But what Loki did, you know, escaping and it only happened because of the Avengers going back in time. How is Loki the one on trial here when definitely the Avengers were more active in, in messing with a timeline than Loki ever was? And I think this gets to that point of, of how the timekeepers or whoever they are make their determinations is it's ultimately what serves them. So Thanos uh, wiping out half of existence or ultimately maybe wiping out all of existence, that didn't serve the purposes of whoever's in charge, whoever's really in charge of the sacred timeline. So the Avengers ultimately defeating Thanos, that worked out well. And that's why whoever this is wanted to keep that as part of the sacred timeline. But Loki jumping out of it, that wasn't part of the plan and it would probably mess up other things. And that's why you know Loki is sentenced to be reset. But also when you have a character like Judge Renslayer who is dictating the dictations of the timekeepers, it does have that Wizard of Oz sort of feel where like no one gets to actually see the wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... It's Kang is another, you know, Loki's not the only character who takes on different forms in the comic books. Kang does as well. And so there's almost a part of me wondering if Judge Renslayer, I don't want to say is Kang. We know Jonathan Majors is playing, uh, is playing, is playing Kang in uh, Quantum Mania. But it does seem like, you know, either there's probably some affiliation there or part of a, you know, part of a council of Kangs or, or whatever that is. Um, it does, there's definitely something up there with judge Renslayer. I, I think she's more than she seems. That would make sense. And uh, the whole idea of council of Kangs, I think would definitely work in this because of, again, the history with the character. And I, I definitely got the idea that she's not quite the, a, uh, mediator uh, of of a character or a judge or whatever it, it feels like she's kind of behind a little bit or knows a little bit more than, than she's letting on because of what she says to mobius and mm-hmm. everyone seems more kind of in line um with uh you know kind of doing what they're told or whatever and and her having the the, the council heads behind her and everything would kind of make that would make sense what you're saying sean so i'm definitely with you there i definitely think that there's definitely more going on especially what she's saying because like Mm -hmm. you said there's no free will like no you're only entitled to what you're supposed to do it's like that doesn't make really a lot of sense if that's the greater if that's the greater mcu that we're seeing in the time variance that doesn't really line up. And that's what makes me obviously think that there's, there's something more going on mm-hmm. these, these timekeepers. And then that's where it would definitely, definitely make sense because, because I never get the, the sense that Mobius is like, you don't have free will. It, it doesn't, he doesn't really talk about that necessarily, but she he does. Said, there, there's a moment where he talks about it. Okay. Okay. There, okay. So yeah, it's been, yeah, sometimes there's, it's, it goes to that, you know, goes over my head, I guess, but, for me, it's just like there just seems to be more of a sense of like there's a, there is a there is a, a a bad evilness of like you can only be within your certain you know your certain box basically, mm-hmm. which obviously in any case is not going to be is not the right thing right way of thinking of any of any kind, whether it be in real life or or whatever. And so that is very interesting that this judge this you know 
very very you know important character in the time variance authority is is telling loki like no you're only entitled to what you're supposed to be very right. interesting i love i love the themes are bringing up though They're, i love this stuff yeah definitely but i think while we're spending some time theorizing here it's also important to remember what happened with wandavision where you know thinking that there's these other characters who are going to pop up and they ultimately didn't Right. Just focusing on who's right in front of us right now and not looking at someone who the timekeepers are and whether or not that's Kang, just looking right in front of us with the character of Judge Renslayer, for all we know, she is the timekeeper. Um, that's Ooh. another thing worth keeping in mind here because, again, we don't know if Jonathan Majors is showing up in this or different forms of Kang and all those things are possible based on the comics, of course, but when you have a character who seems to be the only one who gets to, you know, talk to the all powerful people and or whatever and you at least based on what we've seen so far it, it does call into question like are you just like are how does everybody know for sure that she's dictating their dictations and how do they know that she's just not the one saying this stuff um so it, it wouldn't surprise me if uh if Renslayer ultimately is the source of of the sacred timeline and everything. I, I could see that that's, that's definitely something I think worth holding on to as a possibility here. And, and admittedly, I'm covering all my bases to make sure whatever, however this turns out, um, I have a receipt. So uh, they're not there. I have way too many here for any of them to be considered valid. So I won't try to cash them. Um, but anyway, yes, he was sent. Loki was sentenced to be reset, but Mobius comes in with the save I did like the exchange between Mobius and Renslayer. I liked him saying, I feel like I'm always looking up to you. I like it. It's appropriate. I just thought that was funny. <sighs> that, that, was that was totally an Owen Wilson line in delivery yes. and everything, um, which I'm fine with that. I, I'm happy to have Owen Wilson in this series doing Owen Wilson things. Um, the next scene is Loki and Mobius. And all of this is just so good. Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson are... There's, there may be no magic in the TVA. There is magic between Tom Hiddleston yes. and Owen Wilson. Um, he looks out over the TVA, as we talked about earlier, asking if it's magic. It's, it seems to be tech-based because um, Mobius is saying there isn't magic, and Loki's not able to use magic powers in the TVA, so magic doesn't really seem to work there. Uh, the score is so good, too, as we're looking out over the Time Variance Authority. And, and I was really wondering, like, with Mobius talks about in this sequence, time passes differently in the TVA. Well, where else have we heard that? Like, well, time works differently in the quantum realm, right? Like is the TVA mm. inside the quantum realm? Oh, dude. And, yeah. You know, which okay. also points to Ant-Man and the Wasp, quantum mania and, and all that fun stuff. So, um, yeah. And, and there is that little, I mean, it looked little, but it can be much bigger inside of it. Like we see in the TVA, but remember, I mean, I know you haven't watched it a bunch of times, but in Ant-Man and the Wasp in the background when they were getting uh, Janet, there was a little civilization that was in the background. And I'm like, is that the TVA or is that going to be something else? I don't know. But the whole thing of, you know, there's two places where we've heard that time works differently. The TVA and the quantum realm. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, the TVA was part of the quantum realm because um, it, you... se it seems like one of the most effective places if you wanted to manage timelines and, and keep one of them as as the sacred timeline now if, stop me if i'm wrong here sean i'm gonna bring the comics up for a minute the is the negative zone a part it's not part, obviously it's not the quantum realm but is, is does it operate the same way that time also 
Or am I thinking of something else? I don't I, mean, I know think there's that, Dimension yeah. Z with with Captain America. Yeah, the Reminders run where he like you know he had a you know basically had a grown child basically, yeah. and it was only like 20 minutes or an hour uh-huh. from from our time. I'm just curious if it's like if negative zones like that or because yeah, I'm just trying to think like if they might try to bridge certain things with the quantum realm and other and other spaces. And I was just thinking about the negative zone that was the same way. I don't think it is, but. But yeah, like that idea of, of time passing differently, how that's going to play into part and everything. Just curious. Yeah, I think it, it could. I, there's also a part of me that's maybe a, a little more cynical. Sorry, but that's like, oh, well, this is just like the catch all thing of like, here's how everything right. doesn't have to. Here's how the time logic doesn't have to work out all the time and, and be consistent is that uh, you just never know how it's going to work. Like, how does, yeah. uh, you know why does Janet age inside the quantum realm and, and Scott didn't really, or, or whatever it is. I mean, although Scott was in his mind was only in there for five hours, but yeah, like everyone's experience is different. And also there's different, that's the other thing that's worth keeping in mind that we saw a little bit of an Ant-Man and the Wasp, but there's different layers to the quantum realm. So that could be where they're, you know, you're accounting for more differences between how things operate. Um, but as far mm-hmm. as the quantum realm and the negative zone, like in the correlation of that, I don't really know. Maybe we'll get more of that when we get into more Fantastic Four type of uh, territory. Do you think Annihilus might could show up potentially? Oh, totally. Yeah, I I, I well, definitely think that's in a the character. quantum realm. That's what I'm wondering. Oh yeah, I I, okay. I feel like hmm, I feel like fun. the MCU doesn't need a negative zone with the quantum realm being so well defined. That's what I'm wondering too. Yeah, okay. like I, you I, I got what I was saying. Okay, I got you. I could see the negative zone being part of the quantum realm because, as we saw, like as we've seen, there there are layers to it, and exactly. for all we know, the TVA is one of those. Uh, is right, one of those right, layers. Right. So, okay. You, yeah. you got what I was putting down. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, clawing our way out of the weeds uh, for everyone here. Right. So, um, although hopefully you enjoy that. Um, but anyway, um, Moby or Loki makes a comment about you know nightmares and Moby is saying nightmares are another department, um, ooh, which ooh. I was like, hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll set that aside for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse yeah, of Madness. Yeah. Those um, are different weeds. <laughs> you know, maybe it's a throwaway. Um, for now, for now, we'll let them throw it away. But you know, we'll we'll circle back. I we might end up circling back to that eventually. Um, Mobius basically confirms essentially that being reset is being killed. So if they're resetting timelines, does that mean they are killing them and and everyone in them? Um, Mobius makes the comment about time passing differently in the TVA uh, when they're on the elevator. Uh, Loki is still laughing off the entire idea of the TVA and you know refers to the timekeepers as space lizards. And Loki says, when we go up with the concept of free will, Loki says, I live within whatever path I choose. And Mobius says, sure you do. And it's that sarcastic, mocking sort of way of that. I think that's Mobius responding to that saying like, no, you don't have free will. Like you need to live within mm. the path that okay. the timekeepers have set because Loki even asks, like, if you're all so powerful here in the TVA, like, why have I never heard of you? It's because he never right. had okay. he never had to. He was always living within his set path. This is the first time he stepped out of it. Um, and now he was initially sent sentenced to die and he's only still alive or be reset. And he's only still there because Mobius needs to use him to catch another version of himself as is revealed at the end of the episode. Um, so yeah, the, the whole idea is, yeah, the TVA is not granting anyone, uh, free will. And so Mobius has this little, Mobius has the time twister thing and he's using that to control Loki, just like we saw Hunter B-15 doing earlier in the episode. 
and we learn a little bit more about Mobius. He specializes in the pursuit of dangerous variants, which results in another slam on Loki because Loki's like, like me. And, and he's like, no, uh, <laughs> you're just a little pussycat is what uh, Mobius says to Loki. Um, he's actually after more particularly dangerous ones. He's drinking Josta Cola, which I guess was an old like Pepsi energy drink that I don't even remember. Um, but uh, it seems like the kind of thing that would be like would be well stocked at the time variance authority because they have a lot of other weird stuff that no one needs um, or seemingly no one would need. And Mobius walks through uh, is is walking Loki through his plan. And there's something very self-serving about what Mobius is doing because he needs Loki to catch Loki is really that's why this whole relationship is existing and that's why Mobius came to Loki in the first place and, and saved him from being reset. But even though it might be serving the purposes of, of Mobius, it's also still helping Loki when Mobius is essentially psychoanalyzing Loki and, and, and talking Loki through everything he wants to do. So this is the Loki who, remember, just tried to take over Earth and failed and so he's asking him, you know, what do you what do you plan to do if you go back to your timeline? And, and Loki's saying that he would take over Midgard. And then what? The Nine Realms. And then, you know, of course, Mobius mocks him a bit, saying Loki, king of space, uh, which was great. Um, but he asks him, Mobius asks Loki, why does someone with so much range just want to rule? And this is the type of internal examination that Loki really needs to think about. Like, why does he do the things he does and to what end? And will he get what, will he really be able to get what he's seeking? And and how could he if he doesn't know what he really wants and he just confuses it with compensating for his insecurities? Um, but it is a little disingenuous from, Mobi, uh, from Mobius to be taking Loki down this path of psychoanalysis with while of course the the whole per the TVA Loki doesn't get uh, Loki doesn't get to change like this all feels like a conversation that's about bringing Loki to you know an emotional and internal like epiphany that will be transformative for him but he's based on the rules of the of the TVA he's not really allowed to transform but either way the result is Loki emotionally I think is going to be um he is going to become a different person by admitting the truth of, of who he is and, and what he is. But it was really important for Mobius to just give him that line of questioning. Like you you set your sights on these things, like taking over, ruling this place, ruling that place. But do you really think about why you want that? Um, because if you don't know why you want it, may you don't really know if you want it at all. And certainly it's not going to lead to you being happy or, or fulfilled. So what Loki thinks he he needs so badly is something he doesn't really need at all, and it's only going to make things worse for him as we see play out in the timeline that we have seen for Loki, where things just don't uh, they don't end well. But yeah, that that line of questioning I, I thought was really great. Yeah, and this is all set up for what Mobius needs him for, and 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 one of the things that I like about this character and what they're how they're how they're writing the character and how Owen Wilson is playing him he seems like a good natured person. Like everyone seems like good natured there for the most part, besides the judge, mm -hmm. in my opinion, but even, but even Mobius there seems like, you know, he takes, you know, he doesn't want to like just re restart everything or prune or whatever. If that is what, what they're doing, like you said, Sean, he doesn't want to do that. There is a good nature to him and he's trying to 
it, definitely you get the you get the impression it's obvious that he's trying to have Loki come see the light and realize that there's more to what po- the power he was going after because he needs them to obviously use him to get the other Loki. But just seeing that, you know, trying to reason with someone again, going to the human level of why, you know, trying to help someone who's doing bad things or is going through a hard time and, and, and lashing out in the wrong ways. Right. Again, that bigger human element. It's all evident right here. And it's really great to see, again, two actors just giving it a great, great performance and having good writing to do that and, and not just, you know, have it be very kind of offhand. To me, it'd be very easy for them to go straight to the um, the mom angle and show him what happens mm-hmm. to his mom. It, it, but it doesn't. It takes a while. He definitely, they build off of everything before to lead to that point. And it's beautifully done. It really is. And this is where I think... I liked the episode um, up until then, of course, but this is where it, it transcended to like, this is a great, great episode. And to me, where it really solidified why I'm, I'm even more excited for the show and why I was always super stoked from the trailers. But this mm. kind of solidified, I think, that you know, get, reaffirming the fact that I knew we we're going to get stuff like this from these writers and these these actors just reaffirmed everything that I, I couldn't wait to, to see more of. And we were getting it like completely what I expected in all the best ways. Definitely. And then what's really fascinating about another fascinating part of this episode is, you know, we're getting into this concept of free will and, and Loki is essentially being shown that he's never really had it. And he at the same time, like he gives this own speech about how freedom is a problem. And we know from the Avengers, him talking about freedom as life's great lie. And he explains it to Mobius. The first and, and most impressive lie ever uttered was the song of freedom for nearly every living for nearly every living thing, with Loki being an obvious exception, because it's not every living thing, in Loki's mind anyway. For nearly every living thing, choice breeds shame and uncertainty and regret. There's a fork in every road yet the wrong path always taken. I think that if you if you agree with Loki on that, and I don't know that everyone would just universally agree that Loki is right on that, but there is some of that that's actually true of Loki, and he doesn't even realize it. He's taken the wrong path quite often when there were forks mm. in the road. He had the opportunity to stop his attack on Jotunheim, and he didn't do it. And it seemed like he was going to, and it seemed like Thor was getting through to him, and he didn't do it. When Thor was pleading with him to stop the attack on New York with the Chitari and the Avengers, he got that tear in his eye and it looked like he wanted to stop and, and fight alongside Thor and fight off this invasion that he started. And he didn't do it. Um, and we've seen him take the wrong path. And, and he's he will see as he gets to play This Is Your Life later in the episode, he will see the wrong path that he took at various forks in the road. And so that's where I, I think it's interesting to see Loki because he he considers himself an exception to that notion of, of freedom is generally a problem for everyone else, but not for me, um, because with that freedom comes the, the responsibility of your choices and accountability for your choices. And and that's something that Loki has mostly been able to avoid, as they talk about later on in the episode. But I found that really, really interesting for Loki, who's desperate to cling on to this idea that he has free will while also feeling like um, it's meaningless for other people and they're better off not having it. Um, but really, it's that whole thing of Loki being able to see this as a problem for everyone else but himself. Um, and maybe it's not such a problem to have the freedom, because if you have freedom, you might be able to choose the right path 
mm-hmm. and some people are. It's just Loki uh, who've been able to do that. Loki, however, uh, has not. So uh, I think it's, you know, for Loki to be confronted with that idea and lack that, at the same time, lack that self-awareness. Uh, as I said, I thought that was interesting. But Mobius uh, starts showing Loki his greatest hits. And I like the Mobius and Loki both confirm that Coulson is dead in the sacred timeline. Coulson is dead. Uh, Mobius is not talking about how there was a variant timeline or anything where Coulson was alive. So uh, sorry to uh, agents of shield fans out there who uh, wanted to be part of the sacred timeline. It appears it is not. Um, but uh, I like the callback to Loki saying, I, I guess I'll have that drink now. Um, and uh, Owen Wilson or Mobius offers up his soda. I thought was funny. Um Mobius asks Loki if he enjoys hurting people and he shows Loki uh, enjoying Mm. causing pain like the whole, you know, I need an eyeball scene from the Avengers. And uh, Mobius points out how Loki is is also really good at getting away because that's the other part of it, right? Is that Loki's made choices, although maybe he never really had a choice anyway per the TVA, but Loki's done these things. But he's never really had to be accountable for any of them because he's always been able to escape. And speaking of escapes, we get the D.B. Cooper bit, which was fine for me in this episode as a flashback. I am I, I I feel like you could have cut it, but whatever. <laughs> like it was fine. Uh, I, I I thought it was fun. Um, but then when I liked it. Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was cool. I, I guess in the trailers, I thought it was going to be something more significant than right, a, a quick right. throwaway flashback. But, you know, I thought it might be act- part of the actual plot of the series. But it's probably better off that it's not because there's much bigger things happening. Um, and uh, when Loki is asking about or he is criticizing the TVA and the timekeepers for it all comes down to what they approve of or disapprove of. And, and Mobius says it's not really about that, but he doesn't approval and disapproval, but he doesn't expand on it. So we'll see what that means going forward. And uh, there's a great little awkward bit. The Mobius uses the time twister to try and get Loki to, because he thinks Loki's trying to walk away um, and get away. But all Loki was trying to do was just make, he was standing up to make a point. Um, and Mobius like, oh, go ahead and, and, Tom Hiddleston, of course, is like, well, well, it won't be as meaningful now. Um, I just love the awkwardness of that moment as they're getting, they're really into some heavy emotional territory that Loki yeah. desperately needs. But the way they're able to throw in a little bit of awkward humor without undercutting uh, the emotion, the the heavier emotional aspects of the scene, I thought was really, really great. Um, and Mobius is here want, saying he wants to know what makes Loki tick. And we know why he wants to. That's understandable considering the very end of this episode. And then Loki uh, gives another little speech because he gives a lot of them in this episode. He gives a speech that he's going to call back to not long after this, where he says, I know what this place is. It's an illusion. It's a cruel, elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear, a desperate attempt at control. And Loki is able to identify this in the TVA because he is this, which he's going to confirm later. Um, he is that person who sees himself as weak and uses power, you know, the illusion, the illusion mm-hmm. of power to try and control things that he cannot control and, and compensate for his own insecurities. But he'll admit that later on in the episode. Uh, Loki tries to say that uh, the TVA are, are not the divine arbiters of power in the universe, but Mobius says that they are. Uh, Loki says his choice is his own. So Mobius says, well, great. If you think your choices are yours, let's show you a choice that you made or you think you made. Um, And it was the choice that ultimately led to his mother's death in Thor, the Dark World. 
where he sees, you know, the the tip he gave uh, cursed to go find Thor. But ultimately, we know that it led to the death of Frigga in uh, in that story. And Loki at first thinks it's fake, thinks that Frigga is uh, basically a, a prisoner there. But that we as we know, is is not the case. And Mobius uh, tells Loki what his purpose actually is, that glorious purpose that Loki likes to talk about. What is it? And Mobius says that he's not born to be that Loki was not born to be a king, but to cause pain and suffering and death. Mm -hmm. That's how it is. That's how it was. Mm -hmm. And that's how it will be. Also, that others can achieve their best versions of themselves. And we see the Avengers. So. That's Mobius saying you don't have free will. Like you are not, your purpose is not this. Your purpose is not what you think it is. Your purpose is not to win. It is not to be a king. It is not to to rule. It's not even to be a good person. It's you are here to do these bad things so that others may shine. You're a setup man is, is basically what Mobius is defining Loki, which is like your purpose is completely in service of others, you are not in service of yourself, or uh, you know, or, or any of the goals that you might have, or that you think you need. None of that is for you. That's for other people to achieve uh, by beating you, essentially, and, and being better versions of themselves. There have been a lot of takedowns of Loki throughout this episode, but this might be the most brutal one to essentially yeah. say that, like, going back to what Judge Renslayer said, it's not your story and it never was. This proves it. You're just a part of other people's stories. That's it. Like it's never really been about you. You're just kind of in their way, but we need, we need you to be in their way so that they become better. And then they ultimately take on and defeat bigger and worse threats uh, than you are and more powerful things than you are. So uh, that was, you know, the ultimate humbling, I think of Loki Mm -hmm. besides like seeing his own, uh, death, which he'll see later on, uh, but yeah, th- this breakdown of Loki, this is this was as brutal as it gets. Besides, of course, you know, watching his own death. This was probably what made me really just love what they're doing, and there's a lot going on here. Because Sean, you're you're totally right. I love how you say that. This is him saying there's no free will. When I was watching it, I took it as that he was basically just throwing the truth at Loki in a sense to mm-hmm. where this is what you're all you're you amount to. Like, this is what all the different versions of, of Loki that have ever existed. And cause he wants to use Loki to get the other Loki, right? Mm. Well, how to me it was, it was Mobius using this to his advantage saying like, you can amount to more, but using like reverse psychology. That's kind of the way I, at least the, the literal way that I took it as, cause you're right that he's saying there's no free will. And that's essentially what he's saying. But to me, it was like, he's just, he's doing everything he can to, to tell Loki. Cause he knows there's a, there's a, there's an ounce of goodness in him mm-hmm. that he can maybe just somehow get him, convince him to get on his side and become a better than, you know, become that, that person that, you know, no one expects him or he should be. And what I think is fascinating is that there's a, you know, at first he kind of shows all these awful things that he did. And I, the eye scene specifically, I wanted to point out that that was brutal. And mm-hmm. and I, when you look at it from the Avengers movie, you just, you know, just from the, cause I love that movie so much. Yes. You accept it as like, Loki's a bad guy. He does awful things. But when you sit, when you actually analyze what he did and, and you have someone again, analyzing it to Loki and saying, do you enjoy doing this? Like kind of breaking right. it down like in, in a very like literal sense, you know, exactly what he's doing. I'm like, oh man, this is kind of like gruesome. Like, oh dang. Right. Like it's, it's, 
it brought things down to a level that even he and I think the audience would even consider at that moment like, oh, yeah, you know, at the moment it's like, yeah, that's bad, whatever. But you kind of forget about it because, oh, cool, the adventures are coming. But in that set, you know, analyzing just that one moment and with those two characters, you're you're he's again. I feel that Mobius is setting him up to bring that goodness out. And that's why he had to hit him up with the truth. Like you're only meant to be this, this being that, you know, old, that brings other people up that are good. So he's, he, I feel like he's, he's using that reverse psychology to bring that out. I mean, obviously it's what he's doing, but it just was the way he was doing it. It was just such a, it was such a great scene. I loved it. And this is what makes this episode so great. And I love the fact that, he is saying there's no free will, but then as we, as we're probably going to see eventually throughout the this, this series, there is, and maybe Mobius, maybe Mobius is, is more, uh, in line with the free will than we realize. I don't know. Again, maybe Mobius is, is more than we realize. I mean, this is he where does, it gets really interesting. Yeah. He makes another comment though, of like, this happens over and over again in the timeline. Cause this is mm-hmm. the timeline. This is the way it has to be. The, yeah. The, the, the comment he makes to yeah, Loki. Yeah. And I, and I think that when things don't go, the way that they're supposed to and and a variant actually continues on a path that they're not supposed to be on and are they are exercising free will that becomes a problem and sure. and that's the other loki that i'm sure they're pursuing because it's weird for mobius to say you're just a little pussycat but there is another loki who is genuinely a, a really big problem and has been killing a lot of them within the time variance authority so that shows that Loki has this destructive potential and that that gives mm. you but a, a destructive in terms of the TVA. But I don't know that the TVA is all that great. So exactly. And, mm-hmm. and so that's where, you know, Loki, if he has the power to change, like maybe he has the power to change for good. And, and that's the ultimate threat exactly. to, mm-hmm. to the TVA. But that it speaks to that idea, though, that that. Yeah, maybe you do ultimately have free will, but you're not supposed to. Like you're in, in this, mm-hmm. you know, for the sake, the purposes of the TVA, the sacred timeline, which Mobius serves, um, it would be th- that for those purposes, Loki cannot have free will. I think the question is, Mobius seems like a genuinely decent guy. So, if free will becomes an option, if there's anything that can get Mobius to stop being a believer in what the TVA is preaching that maybe we see that sort of team up between mm-hmm. Loki and, uh, and Mobius, but, um, that'll have to wait. Meanwhile, after this big breakthrough with Loki Hunter B 15 interrupts to tell Mobius that they lost another unit. Um, and Mobius is saying, and I love that even in an argument, Mobius is so polite when she's saying, uh, you shouldn't be talking to him. That's your position. I take the opposite. I just, Love it. Yeah. Uh, Love the way Mobius argues and, you know, similar way to other arguments we've seen Owen Wilson in over the years. Um, Of course, you know, earlier in the scene between Mobius and Loki, Loki had referred himself as the god of mischief, a mischievous scamp. So that's they call back to that when Mobius walks back in the room and Loki is gone and he has pickpocketed the time twister off of Mobius and Mobius just calls him a mischievous scamp. Another highlight in that scene, though, uh, I love the T-shirt comment when Loki said trust is for children and dogs. Uh, there's only one person you can trust. And Moby says you yourself. I like it. Slap it on a T-shirt. So that and the uh, Miss Mobius or not Miss Mobius, Miss Minutes, uh, you know, behavior, get your clock cleaned. Uh, that also needs to be slapped on a T-shirt. Also a great moment with the whole like big metaphor guy exchange and it makes you sound really smart. And Loki saying, I am smart. And Moby says, I know. And then Loki like, okay, like I have nowhere to go. Like I thought you were insulting me and I thought we were having an argument. 
and now you're just agreeing with me and somehow that makes it more annoying. Um, I really like that with Loki. Uh, But now Loki's on the loose. Uh, Hunter B-15 orders to prune on site, which sounds like it's pretty much the same as resetting, clipping branches and all that. Um, Loki says, although now clipping branches sounds very sinister and I don't know, I got to come up with new phrasing because that's what Cap used to go clip branches in Avengers Endgame and I'd like to think he didn't do the same thing as the Time Variance Authority seems to be doing. But either way, resets, pruning, uh, not so great, uh, it would seem, but Hunter B-15 wants that for Loki. Uh, meanwhile, Loki uh, meets Casey again, threatens to gut him like a fish, and Casey has the perfect response, what's a fish? Uh, wants to know what he's being threatened with before he complies. And then uh, Loki wants the Tesseract, and Casey opens up a drawer, and we see the Tesseract and also a lot of loose Infinity Stones in multiple versions of uh, each Infinity Stone. And uh, they also don't look all that great practically. They need some of their CG glow, um, but they're meant to look very unimpressive uh, in this scene. So that's achieved in the visual. There's other items in the drawer, a French Medal of Honor, a cross, uh, something that kind of looks like a sling ring, but isn't because, or it fits like one large finger instead of multiple like human-sized fingers. There's also marbles, uh, so that's fun, uh, in the drawer that Casey has there. Uh, but Paula, I, I do want to talk about this Infinity Stone gag uh, mm. in this episode because I get I, I didn't love this. Mm. I, I get what it's trying to achieve. Like they're trying sure. to establish the power and the scale of the Time Variance Authority. And they're right. also this is continuing along with what they're doing in this episode of showing Loki the futility in his pursuit right. of power. Like it's never what you think it is. You always think you if you just had this thing. You would have the power you need to achieve your goals. And if you do these things, you will be happy and fulfilled. And it's basically trying to show Loki that everything you've attached meaning to in your life is meaningless. And and none of these things are going to make you happy. They're all you trying to compensate for things that you have to fix internally. There's nothing you can go get or achieve, attain that's going to fix you. You have to fix yourself. So I, I love that it works on that level. And I understand those goals. And I think it does work on those levels and it is successful in achieving those things. But I think you can accomplish those same things without trivializing the MacGuffins around which most of your films were built. Like you just finished right. a 23 film saga. I mean, you know, it's been a couple of years, but counting Far From Home as they do as part of the Infinity Saga. Most of the movies in that saga, more than 50 more than 50 percent of them deal with Infinity Stones and mm-hmm. We had a whole saga that was immensely popular and the people absolutely loved. And it was and I'm not saying it was all about the stones themselves. And I understand that the stones within those stories that we watch still have meaning because the effects of those stones were still very real for the characters that were experiencing those events. So I'm not saying it completely takes away the Infinity Stones, um, but they deserve to be shown a little more reverence than they were shown mm. here. Like, I, I think there were ways to achieve this without totally without a, th- you know, without a bit that kind of tries to cheapen the infinity stones. I, I, it's fine for me if we, fir- if we find out that the TVA is just full of crap, like, and, mm. and infinity stones are still very important. And look outside of the TVA, they are very powerful. It's just inside right. the TVA. They don't have power. So I can I can roll with it. It it doesn't ruin things for me. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I think there was a a better way to do this. That's a good point. Now, there's a I take it a couple different ways. And I already kind of talked about it before is that this is a different power. Sure. You know, 
if, if, if we're, and again, if we're talking, I don't want to treat King as the next Mephisto. I really don't, but just, just bear with me. If, if that really is the case, then this, to me, I do like the idea that this whole time concept of controlling time, you know, and controlling these timelines, and that's ultimately what matters is their own destiny mm-hmm. and making sure it happens the way they want it to. It, it nullifies anything of power, right? Which I, I said before, which that for me works. Now, in your aesthetic, I definitely thought that, like, man, they're really kind of, that kind of diminishes a little bit of what you've already, what you've done before with these huge films, right? Mm -hmm. The one thing I'll say is I don't think they do this without this is going to come back at some point to where it's either going to be, like, erased where it, it won't really matter very, you know, basically really, really quickly. So I think that this was set up to kind of give the idea, right? Which would definitely worked. Everyone understands now the time variance authority is right. A, is a whole different world, right? We all get that. And it's been established and we all get that. What I think is, so this is where I think it kind of lends to the idea of Kang and all, or something else in, in control is that the time variance authority is not necessarily for good. And what's going to happen is either in Loki or something soon in the next couple of years. And I think Loki definitely could do this. And we'll get to that in a minute because it, it, it kind of, I think, uh, combines to the very end of this episode, potentially. I think that what's going to happen is that the time variance authority will somehow get deconstructed or, or blow up or what the illusion of that will mm-hmm. then will get, will get destroyed. And th- therefore, that whole idea of those of the stones not mattering, it will it'll be they'll matter like you said, but the whole idea of like this is one central thing will be completely obliterated and it won't really matter. And those things could still be you know powerful at this point or important, but at this point they are. But I think it's going to be this whole thing will be taken down soon in some way or one way or another to where those that'll kind of be a, a, a not a big deal or that'll be, Oh yeah. The, the, but now the stones now will be sought after or whatever. So there's, there'll, there'll be something to that, to this, um, be brought back to, at least in my opinion, yeah. because I don't think you show this without having, because again, like you said, like you kind of nullify a little bit of the, of the importance of these stones from the whole previous 20 plus films. So I think there's going to be some kind of callback to this. It's not just a humor thing that was used for here or a thing to s- describe the time variance authority. I think that it'll nullify at some point within Loki or in at least with Dr. Strange multiverse of madness, especially in that title of Dr. Strange alone, I think kind of gives you a hint of yeah. what's happened, what's going to happen. And Spider-Man no way home. Exactly. So yes, yes, yes. I think we're, about to have, uh, I mean, they're several months away, each of them, but we know that we have two multiverse dealing movies on the horizon. And so, yeah, th- that points to me that the sacred timeline is going to get broken down. And exactly. like we are headed toward a multiverse war, whatever that means. I mean, that could be even, it could go beyond No Way Home and Multiverse of Madness all the way to the point of being the. You know, setting the stage for secret wars in the MCU. Like there's a lot of different things yeah. that this could spiral into. Although maybe, maybe the multiverse thing kind of culminates in Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. And it's like a mini MCU arc as yes. opposed to like a 10 year, 20 movie, whatever. It's going to get to that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I could definitely see it being that, that everything that's kind of being introduced now in these early Disney plus series, as well as no way home kind of culminates in uh multiverse of madness. I could see it being that, Although I also feel like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania could be part of this, but that's also where like, that's the ultimate caveat with some of the, the Kang references in this is that mm-hmm. 
I'm like, I don't see Kang losing this early and the TVA is going to lose. I, I think by the end of this, I but, agree, but I agree. you know, Kang loses and comes back. So we could find yeah, out, exactly. you know, what we could find out is, you know, this was one of the things Kang had going on, but not the only thing. I mean, I'll get, I have an idea with the, this, but I'll wait till the end. Of well, this episode. could totally play out as like, you know, the go back to the first Avengers movie, right? Like exactly. They're fighting mm-hmm. Thanos and they don't know it. And the mid credit scene is Thanos. Like I could see the mid, this series goes all the way to the end. Mid credit scene is Kang. Like the main antagonist of this story ends up being judge Renslayer um, or the timekeepers not necessarily being Kang. And then we realize there's a Kang Mm -hmm. connection later on down the line. And this is a really great way for us to not have to talk about Kang every single week. uh, (laughs) Unless we have occasion to, I don't don't want to uh, annoy you, all of you listening any more than we already have. But um, but hey, it's it's there and there's characters with affiliation. So like we have to we got to cover it and then we will move on. But based on what's actually here right now, as I said, the Infinity Stone beat, I don't love it, but I mean, I don't hate it either. Like I don't despise it to the point where it it ruined the episode for me. And as I said, it doesn't retroactively ruin the Infinity Stones for me or anything like that. I don't. And it it is it serves another purpose of potentially getting us to move on from Infinity Stones because there's a lot of speculation about, well, people can go into timelines and just get stones whenever they want. Well, like if you realize you don't really need to um, and that that's no no longer the most powerful thing that, you know, you don't have to focus on that. So it is kind of a way of getting us to move on from them. Um, I think there might have been better ways to do it, but whatever. Um, I, what I do really like about it is the effect. Again, I don't necessarily think it was the only way to achieve it, but I do like the effect that it has on Loki because that is where he accepts where he is and that he's no longer in control as he just kind of stands up uh, astonished by all of this and just asks, like, is this the greatest power in the universe? Like, this is what he needs in order to accept the time variance authority, which also points to the idea, though, of illusion, right? Like, if you want to fool mm-hmm. Loki into thinking you're the ultimate power in the universe, show him what he thought the ultimate power was and trivialize it in the way that they did with the stones. Um, it makes sense. But also, again, the Infinity Stones could have great power, just not inside uh, the time variance authority, where lo- even Loki's magic, which we know works in plenty of other places, just doesn't work in this spot. Um, but B-15 interrupts everything um, and tries to take out Loki, but misses and ends up pruning poor Casey's cart. Uh, rough day for Casey, but uh, we love you, Eugene Cordero. Um, and I love his response to uh, to Hunter B-15. I do not forgive you, he shouts at her. Uh, Casey does as she walks away. Um, but Loki has escaped, goes back to the room where he and Mobius had their chat and Loki Laufeyson gets to have a this is your life uh, highlight reel. And he goes through it to see what his future was in this uh, in the sacred timeline. He sees we see him in tears as he sees the death of his mother. Fast forwards to the death of his father, Odin, from Thor Ragnarok. And then we are still in Thor Ragnarok. We get that moment of, uh, you know, Thor and the elevator getting ready for the get help bit. Thor telling Loki that he thought the world of him. And that, you know, thought they'd be fighting side by side forever. And then Loki actually gets to see himself fighting side by side with Thor at the end of that movie. But then it turns to his death at the hands of Thanos. And such a brilliant performance by Tom Hiddleston throughout this entire sequence. And the full range of emotion that he's going through as he's watching this highlight reel. The sadness upon seeing the deaths of his parents. The regret uh, in his re- that he's feeling about it over his relationship with Thor, 
Because Loki always saw himself as other and convinced himself that that's how everyone saw him, but Thor didn't. Thor loved him. Thor, as he said, thought the world of Loki. And the joy that Loki expresses when he actually, when that we see on his face when he sees that there was a moment where he did have a more positive relationship with his brother, that that relationship could be repaired and the recognition of you know what potential that held. And then those hopes are completely dashed and that joy is completely dashed by the recognition of what this moment is going to be. And it's the look on his face as soon as he sees that Thanos is the one that he was uh, standing in front of because he knows what this moment is going to be. He hasn't seen it yet, but he knows what's coming. And so there is the fear of what this moment is going to be, the moment that he's watching, but then the horror of actually seeing it. He sees it coming the whole way, but then the horror on his face when he actually sees that final moment and we hear his next snap uh, as Thanos killed him in the events of Avengers Infinity War. And I think what Loki is so horrified by here, it's not just that he died, it's how easily he died. You know, compare Loki's uh, Loki seeing his death to how Thanos reacted to seeing his own death in Avengers Endgame. You know, Thanos was fine with it. Destiny, that is destiny fulfilled. That was Thanos' mm. response to seeing his death in Endgame, whereas Loki is scared and, and horrified. And I think the difference between their reactions, I, I don't think it's just about, I don't think it's as simple as saying Loki's a coward and Thanos is very brave. I don't think that's what it is. Maybe that's some of it, but I don't think that's where it's really coming from. I think that's the difference between Thanos feeling like he had fulfilled his purpose in life, whereas Loki feeling like he never did. And that that Loki's struggle, it, it all ended up being for nothing. And that he mm-hmm. wasn't nearly as significant as he desperately tried to convince himself and the world that he was. He just wasn't as important as he thought he was. He didn't play the part in the grand scheme of things, in the story of the universe. He didn't play the part that he thought he was going to play. And he was dispatched rather easily um, by someone who had real power, whereas Loki was trying to convince himself, not that Loki didn't have any power, um, but he wasn't quite what he what he thought he was. And more importantly, from an emotional standpoint, just the fulfillment of his life, he didn't do any he didn't achieve anything that he thought he was going to. The, what he thought would make him great, uh, he never achieved that, not that it ever would have made him great to begin with. but um, Thanos fulfilled his destiny. Loki knows he didn't. And I, I think that's why his death hurts him. So seeing his death hurts him so much is just knowing the life that was unfulfilled. Yeah. And I also think the fact that think about what, who gave him that power to begin with in Avengers mm-hmm. was, was Thanos. And so Loki is not only seeing Loki's always playing a game, right? He's always using people for his own, his own advantage. I also see it as like, I'm, this is my cl- my ultimate like, you know, manipulation and and mischief. And I'm going to tease Thanos as powerful being, and I'm going to convince him for me to be a King and whatever, and do all these different things. And then seeing in the end, what happens that same Mm -hmm. person ends up killing Loki. So he loses. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked at that as well. I mean, you're, I think everything is all plays a part in it, but I just think that for me, when I when I saw I, I saw him basically seeing him fail and, and his plans never working out, like right. you said, like it just it all that, you know, I try to convince and, and, and manipulate this guy. And in the end, when I try to get him at the very end and, and, he, and also he got to see him, himself be a hero 
a little bit, trying to protect mm-hmm. his brother. I mean, at least again, I'm trying to see if he saw that part of it or not. But you know, I did see the part where Thor's holding him, and you know, and he did see that part though. Mm-hmm. And so he got to see that people still loved him even all after all the things he did. So he, it's like you see him fail that what he was trying to do when he's you know this whole thing of uh, you know importance, and then all of a sudden fail, die from the, the people that he's trying to manipulate and things he can get one over. And then in the end, who's holding him at the very end? It's his brother. So again, all great touches, I thought, that would again help propel this Loki variant into a a better uh, life or a more uh, heroic life, if you will. So that's where I thought seeing all that was really cool to see kind of portrayed onto this character. Oh, definitely. I think this has the ability to motivate him to have mm. the emotional breakthrough that he was having throughout this episode and then really see the, the the evidence of it that you know what you thought you wanted it ultimately led to a life unfulfilled and, and it ultimately led to you i mean you never even achieved those things you set out to you thought you wanted in the first place you never even actually got them that that mm. wasn't part of your future it wasn't part of your story but it was such a waste cuz you shouldn't have even you never really needed to pursue those things anyway, because those were never going to be the things that would give you happiness or fulfillment or anything like that. A, a glorious purpose like you were never you didn't even know what your purpose really was, which is why I think Loki, he confused himself over what it was, which is why Loki even mm-hmm. mocks that idea. Like after he finishes watching it, he says glory. He just scoffs at it. He scoffs at himself, really, and just saying glorious purpose. And mm-hmm. even like as he's finishing watching the file, like he you see him like crying, but then laughing, but it's all the same. The laughing and the crying, it's all the same. It's all just that emotional release of having seen everything that his life turned into and, and how anticlimactic a lot of it seemed, um, you know, and, and just him never having, never being the God King that he convinced himself he was meant to be. But all of that was a lie he told himself to to cover up with, you know, what he really needed in order to be in order to be better and not just be better, but feel better about himself uh, internally. And so after Loki has this, you know, among his multiple emotional breakthroughs in in this episode, uh, this one after this one wraps up, uh, B-15 is Hunter B-15 is there with the call. But Loki is able to turn the tables, get the collar that works with the time twister. He gets that onto Hunter B-15 and now it's payback time. Uh, sending her through the time loop several times and then just getting her out of the room. And then uh, Mobius is back. Loki is just sitting there and Mobius is there with a reset baton because he's not really sure what he's going to have to do to Loki in this moment. But then Loki, we see at this point, has accepted his circumstances and he is honest with himself and about himself. He knows he can't go back to his timeline. It's almost as if this was the bait that was there to get him to to work alongside mm-hmm. the TVA, but no, that's that's not what's being offered here. That's never going to happen. And then Loki is just very honest about who he is or and why he is, why he does the things he does. He says, I don't enjoy hurting people. I don't enjoy it. I do it because I have to, because I've had to. And Mobius says, explain that to me. And Loki Goes back to what he said earlier. What he was accusing of the TVA of being and doing is that's actually him. Because Loki says, because it's part of the illusion. It's the cruel, elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear. And Mobius picks up what Loki's putting down and finishes that speech from earlier in the episode, a desperate play for control. 
So Loki then calls himself a villain, and Mobius says that's not how he sees it. But this is huge for Loki, because we saw the moments where Loki wanted to stop himself, uh, stop himself from hurting people, like in Thor, like in the Avengers, and he just couldn't do it, because ultimately his desperation to uphold the illusion won out. And the reason he needed to uphold that illusion, where he felt like he had to, is because that illusion masked all of his insecurities. It masked his feelings that he was other and that he was never enough in the eyes of his family, especially his father and his brother, that he was also never enough for the people of Asgard or anywhere else. And feeling like he has to shout to the world, I will tell you how important I am because I don't feel important at all. I will make you fear me because I don't believe that you'll ever love me. That was Loki's life is feeling it's the ultimate rejection of the world because he feels like acceptance would always elude him. And so it was that that internal weakness uh, of not feeling like enough, of feeling like the only way he could be in, accepted in the world is if he found a way to control it. And he had to conjure illusions. He had to use he had to try and inspire fear to cover up for as powerful as he was. He wasn't powerful enough to control everything. So he had to puff himself up to make it seem like that was the case. But it was all in pursuit. Um, it, it was all just him trying to mask these things that that he really needed to fix internally and that no infinity stone, um, no throne could ever give him. Yeah, that's a, and that, that's exactly what I, I love seeing here is the fact that Loki coming to terms with who he is finally outwardly. And again, it definitely felt like Mobius put all that set all that up to even the whole time jumper thing and whatever, just make him all come to that point of realizing that he is, you know, he lashes out for, for reasons. He doesn't enjoy it. He does it cause he has to. And again, you have to set this up for the audience to get behind Loki. Cause again, he's killed millions of people like in Avengers, right? We, this is that same character so I think they've done a great job of – I mean, we already know like he's a complicated character from the from the MCU, but we hear – we get to see him actually verbally say it. And I think for a lot of people, and I think to kind of justify for, for people, the mainstream audience, to get behind this character for the series and root for him to, to succeed, you need him to outwardly say, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy this. So it was it was good to kind of get that – this whole episode is basically built around getting that out of the way and Mm -hmm. this, but they do it so brilliantly and it doesn't hurt to have Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson being the people to bring that out. It's like, it's only a feather in your cap. Right. So yeah, it's, it was beautifully done. Yeah. And I think you could still question that and say, well, if you're saying you don't enjoy it, it sure looked like you were enjoying it in certain moments, like uh, what we saw earlier with the eye thing. But yeah, I, I think it's, enjoying the effect not enjoying hurting people enjoying that it's getting him he's enjoying the sense of control that he felt like he was getting by inspiring fear in people that's what he's enjoying not the act of of hurting someone and it's not a true enjoyment it's that thing of convincing himself that he's enjoying that he's enjoying this that this is what's making him happy that he's getting the control that he wants through the fear that he's creating and, and inspiring within people thinking that that's making you happy because there's plenty of people who, and I'm, I'm not accusing everyone in the world of being Loki. Um, this is a heightened reality with Asgardian gods and, you know, a a divine arbiters of a sacred timeline. Like obviously all of this is completely different from our world, but 
emotionally, there are things that are applicable because I, I think there are people who, I think maybe even everyone, where at different stages in life, you could set a goal for yourself thinking that if you just get that thing, that it's going to make you happy. And the pursuit of that does, you know, has moments where it's making you happy and you and little milestones that make you feel like you're getting there and getting close to it um, are where you feel some sense of satisfaction, but it ultimately un- unravels when you get it and it doesn't just automatically turn you into a happy and fulfilled human being who has everything they want and is completely satisfied. I, I think there that's where Loki was just misguided in those little moments of thinking that he could be happy in those moments because it was getting him closer to what he wanted. But what he wanted, he didn't ultimately know what he wanted. And so and now and he's plainly seen the future from there that the Loki in that moment who thought that taking an eyeball was getting him closer to uh, a throne that he always felt he deserved and that was going to give him uh, everything he wanted out of life. You know, that Loki in that moment didn't know what this Loki now knows that Ultimately, that didn't lead to the places that he thought it didn't, whether that's uh, physically, geographically, emotionally, it didn't lead to any of those results uh, that he was hoping for. And nothing ever could until Loki actually um, steps into like recognizes within himself what's really wrong, what he really needs, um, you know, what he has to solve within himself, the insecurities that he has to solve within himself, the emotional wounds that that need to heal and then, of course, pursue something that is more fulfilling. And it might actually be in service of others, but I don't know that the TVA are going to be the right people for him to be in service of. But maybe when he, if slash when he ultimately betrays them, we'll see a better path for Loki. But we also know that the TVA is going to be standing in the way of Loki trying to pursue any other path than the one that he's supposed to. Because even Moby is saying, I don't necessarily see it that way of not seeing Loki as a villain. Is that because Mobius really thinks Loki is genuinely a good guy? Or is it just because Mobius doesn't see anybody as a hero or a villain? They're all just fulfilling the purpose they're supposed to in the sacred timeline. So that maybe that's why he can be a little more objective about it. But we'll learn more about that uh, Mm -hmm. as we go on. I just I I love this episode. Um, And of course, you know, when Mobius does say, um, you know, he can't offer Loki, uh, he can't offer Loki salvation or anything like that. He can't take Loki back to his original timeline, but maybe it's, he could offer something better. I don't know what exactly would be better about it. We'll see. But Mobius says they're hunting a fugitive variant, killing people like we saw earlier. And Mobius says the variant we're hunting is you. So multiple iterations of Loki, as we see variants in the cartoon sequence, uh, hosted by Miss Minutes. And we know that there's another Loki that's out there. Uh, that's been causing some of these problems that we have seen in this uh, very first episode. Um, and it gives, it certainly explains why Mobius is so interested in, in saving this Loki from being reset, needs this Loki to catch another one who seems to be perhaps more powerful than the one who's here, because we know that Mobius isn't worried about this Loki, but seems to be worried about the other one. Um, so that speaks to the power level of, of what we're dealing with. But um, And then we, we get a, a glimpse of... We don't see who that new Loki is, but we get a hooded glimpse of it's that figure. Mephisto. Yeah, exactly. Um, we we see the another group of you know hunter and group of Minutemen out there, um, and there's a time signature from a device that's that's early third millennium, and uh, the Minutemen are about to prune these this timeline when they and they set their reset charge, but then they see someone there, a hooded figure 
who lights them all up on fire and just kills them all. And that is the end of the episode. And the end titles for this are really sweet, by the way. Although the end titles mm-hmm. for all these Disney Plus series have looked really yeah. great. Um, but I love this uh, this one for Loki. So, I mean, that's more of a tease of like the bigger threat out there is another Loki. And here's what this Loki is capable of. Um, but it's the emotional revelation at the end of this. And, and Loki just admitting who he is and why he does the things he does. Um, as this complete breakdown of Loki um, to really get into who this character is. It's a great character piece. Just this one episode of Loki is such a great character study on this guy. Uh, I absolutely love it. I mean, you there. I want to watch the rest of the series. Absolutely. I mean, I've already <laughs> seen the second episode, but I want to watch that. I want to watch that episode again and the four episodes that follow. But this episode all by itself achieves so much for this character um, so yeah, I, I do, this might be, uh, we, we talked about this at the top, but I, I, I think I've talked myself into it over the course of this podcast. I do think this is the strongest first episode of any Marvel Studios Disney plus series so far. I mean, we'll mm. see where the, the entire series is, you know, compared to anything else, uh, you know, because we still have a long way to go. Um, but this is a really, really strong start. Uh, that I think fulfills its own glorious purpose of, you know, of earning this series. If you're going to have you've created this way to bring Loki back and tell another story with him, uh, how do you justify that by letting us really explore this guy and get to know him on a deeper level than we ever have? Uh, we get to right away in this very first installment. Yeah. And, and this is where I, I'm, I was kind of blown away a little bit by Again, I stayed away from spoilers. I had no idea they're going to be facing off another Loki. And I think it's very evident that it's not exactly probably going to be Tom Hiddleston. The fact that they're they're keeping it completely hidden from everything, yeah. which I think is really cool. We already saw Paul Bettany versus Paul Bettany. We don't need to see Tom Hiddleston versus exactly. Tom Hiddleston. Exactly. So we're going to get a different Loki. And who that is, is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm very I'm very intrigued. Uh, well, and I, I'm not settling on we're only getting one different Loki. Ah, was it a council of Lokis, maybe? Uh, well, look but... at how many different forms were in the cartoon variant guy. Look at how yeah. many different... I mean, I'm not saying we would get that many versions of Loki, sure. but uh, I don't know that we would be limited to just one. Right. And I'm gonna just going to end my, my thoughts, which I, I've already said I love this episode. I think this is great. I, I'm with you, Sean. It's as a starting first episode of the three, I would say this is the strongest just based on the performances alone and just what how much... They had to get, you know, put in one episode and explain and did it brilliantly. Uh, one thing I will say is I'm going to I'm just going to it's a receipt like you always <laughs> say, Sean. I'm going to say that the twist will be is the, the, this variant of Loki is actually not a bad guy. It's mm. actually going to end up being good. So you're going to spend half the time, fa- you know, trying to face off and it's going to tell Loki no, the time variance is evil. It's yeah. being run by an evil thing. And when it what will happen is they'll destroy the time variance, right? Mm-hmm. And that whole sacred timeline. And that's what thus will be Kang wanting revenge on, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what will be in quantum realm. He'll have to start all over right. and go back in time. And that's will be the start of the Kang versus the Avengers. Right. So, I mean, it could just be, yeah, that Kang left Judge Renslayer or Timekeepers or whoever mm-hmm. in charge of preserving a sacred timeline. And then that falls apart and then Kang enters the picture. I mean, that's because he has to. Yeah. yeah so I, I could see that happening. I mean, I definitely think that all is not what it seems with the TVA. I mean, it seems like they're protecting something, but what they're protecting is just, I think, their own interest or the interest of whoever is really exactly. running them. And so I, I definitely think that if, 
you have a new Loki variant who is causing problems. Well, if you say the TVA is evil, then you know, killing people who are killing, you know, killing the Minutemen and hunters who would be killing, potentially killing other people in timelines, it's not necessarily that evil of a thing to do. Um, so if you're stopping them from pruning or resetting mm-hmm. timelines or whatever it is they call it. So yeah, th- that would point to, you know, this variant who's being pitched as dangerous and evil, not necessarily being dangerous and, and or being dangerous, but not necessarily evil. And I think that evil. would be, mm-hmm. and if you have the TVA who's telling you, you only get to be this or we eliminate you, then there's something to say for being the person to say, well, no, I'm going to actually fight against that. Like, I am going to fight for my free will uh, and exactly. I'm going to fight for everybody to potentially have free will. Um, you know, that that certainly points to actually being a good thing to fight for. So mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, yeah, what what the Loki we know may discover about variant Loki is... Like I am what you could be if you were good. Um, mm. you know, certainly, it certainly could be part of it. We'll see. Yeah, um, we'll see. But also think about what this variant has been taking away from the TVA. It's been taking away those reset charges. And if those reset mm. charges are as bad as we've speculated they might be, um, I that's also a good thing to take away these terrible weapons from the TVA, even though so far it hasn't worked and a lot of timelines are still ultimately being pruned. But or uh, or reset but yeah it's it's going to be very interesting to discover what this variant loki is about um and and of course continuing on with the rest of the story and and now that loki has had this huge breakthrough and has been honest about himself honest with himself where does he go from here because just because you can identify your tendencies your habits it doesn't that there's a difference between understanding why you do certain things and then actually being able to change the behavior and being able to change the habits because some things you do them for so long and Loki's very old, you do some things for so long, it can be very difficult to find a new path forward and do things in a very different way, um, which is another interesting application and, and question of the idea of, of free will. But it'd be very interesting to see where Loki goes from here as well as this entire series, but really couldn't ask for you know, Infinity Stone nitpicks aside, uh, which really isn't that big of a deal, as I said, um, hmm. I, I couldn't really ask for a, a stronger debut episode for the series. Very, very happy with it. And, you know, credit to Kate Heron, Michael Waldron and the entire team behind uh, this episode. In fact, I, I might as well give uh, a few more quick shout outs. I mean, the direct I thought the the cinematography on this looked great. That was Autumn Gerald uh, Arkapa, who was the director of photography. Production design for the TVA, we talk, we highlighted that several times in this episode. Uh, that was Kazra Farahani. Um, and then that score, uh, another shout out to Natalie Holt. Uh, so, so good. So love this first episode of Loki. Can't wait to continue talking about this series as the weeks go on. Um, but also before we get out of here, just want to issue some thank yous. And thank you very much to Lauren W., Zach S., and Eric T. for being the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or just hit the link in the show notes where we have exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else, including Patreon credit scenes. And the corresponding Patreon credit scene for this episode will feature our conversation about Black Widow tickets going on sale because it's been a long time since tickets went on sale for a Marvel movie. And uh, also Jamila Jamil playing Titania in the She-Hulk Disney Plus series coming up from Marvel Studios. 
But uh, then in the meantime, make sure, well, check us out over there, but also make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. We have a lot of cool stuff going on right now. Um, on uh, next week's episodes, or one of the episodes I'll probably release, is going to be an episode going over the new Maestro series about the Maestro Hulk by written by Peter David. So uh, if you're familiar with those comics, go check it out. It's going to be a blast. Michael Bailey, who will join me, is awesome. He's a, a true inspiration of, of podcasting, to be honest. And he's prolific and awesome. Go check out his stuff. But yeah. Lots of great uh, content, in my opinion, to check out over there. And again, that's the YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. So please uh, subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for visiting the MCU Fan Show. Don't hesitate to let us know how we're doing.